0: Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. All right, familia. Good Sunday so far, huh? And we're not even done yet just getting started. And we have a special guest that is here, and I'm so grateful um, that he's come all the way from San Diego, California, just to be with the Heartway family. He is a spiritual teacher. He's an author. He's a philanthropist. He's a life coach. David Youngren, help me welcome this man up to the stage. Oh, my goodness. So you're here, and we're here. This is the first time we're meeting in person. Well,
1: that's true. It's the first time, and, and i kind of thrilled to be here. And I was thinking to myself, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but if I was part of this church, I, felt I would feel like I had to go to the gym just to kind of keep <laughs> up with,
0: with the pastor. That's awesome. The pastor of Pump, that's what I heard <laughs> my name is around here. Thank you for being here, man. Thank you. We met, how did we meet? It was via Instagram and you just took interest in Heartway and then we started talking? I
1: think you, um, I think I'm not quite sure.
0: I don't remember either. (laughs) I don't don't even know how we got here, but we're here. (laughs) And you have a fascinating story. David and I are kindred spirits in a lot of ways. And I want everybody to kind of learn a little bit more about who you are, where you've been, where you're at now in terms of your spiritual journey. Because David, at one point, was the pastor of a very large church in Canada. He was the president of a Bible college. Um, what else did you do? He did a lot of stuff.
1: Uh, well, uh, we, He was a
0: televangelist. You were on TV.
1: Yeah, we did that too. Yeah.
0: He, he did everything. And, and then you had a, a moment of crisis. Where everything changed for you. So, share a little bit about your story.
1: Well, it, it's, it's kind of interesting in the sense of, uh, I mean, I travel around the world. I would have uh, crusades. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the word crusade, but uh, these mass festivals. And we would sometimes have as many as 100,000 people. And my, you know, it, it was very driven to, of course, succeed in the Christian world, to have a great big church, to, you know, run the different ministries. There was a period of time that something happened, and we actually moved from, uh, from Canada to United States. And there was a deep anger inside of me—a um, not just anger, but I was also disappointed with people who had done me wrong. And how many ever how had someone do you wrong? And and even people very close to you, even family members, can do you wrong, and that's very hurtful. So I was in this complete state of anger and guilt, and I was dealing with all these plethora of emotions. And, uh, and so here I am, stuck in California, uh, and you may think that's kind of a strange, moving from Canada, from the cold to the warm, and you guys love it here in Miami, I know how beautiful it is, but here I was, and I was feeling this inner turmoil. And I had, of course, my wife, my kids, and we had a team with us that had moved together, and, and we just, there was just something there that didn't feel right. And, and I started having these cluster headaches. I don't know if you're familiar with cluster headaches. Is the, and, and I've had many people kind of just, you know, look at me in disbelief. But according to what I have Googled on the Internet, I haven't taken up with AI yet. But what I've learned about what I've Googled on the Internet is the worst pain a human can suffer. Now women tell me that you have never given birth to a child, so you don't know what you're talking about there, buddy. But I'm just telling you what I read on the internet. And if you read on the internet, it's gotta be true, right? So what I read there is that that cluster headaches is the worst pain a human can suffer. And it's not like a headache or even a migraine, it's much worse than that. And it it would feel like someone was sticking a knife in my and literally twist the knife around and it would happen in the beginning every second day and then, then every day and then multiple times a day. And I didn't even want to live. I thought I'd rather die. I'd rather commit suicide. I would rather I don't want to live like this. This is just excruciating. This horrible. This unbelievable pain that I don't want to go through anymore. And and I you know here I come, traveling the world, being this preacher and everything else. And I thought I would pray and I knew how to do that. And I prayed and, and didn't get any better, got worse. And there's nothing more discouraging than getting worse, right? So I didn't know what to do. And suddenly, um, this started in 2005. And then 2006, I, I was walking down the stairs. I was going, I had a terrible night and I was walking down the stairs to my car. And, um, and that had this, I don't know what it was. It was weird. I had this inner prompting to meditate. Now, you have to understand my background was against all forms of meditation or what you were doing here, centering prayer, whatever you want to call it. But I was against this thing called meditation. I just thought that's like an Eastern religious thing, and I want nothing to do with it, you know. But, but when you're desperate, when you're in that place of, you know, nothing is working for you. And I says, okay, I just had this inner prompting to meditate. And I didn't know how I meditate, so I sat down in my car, slumped into the chair. And um, created a picture in my mind of Jesus um, as he was being beaten. That was just right after the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And, and, I, and I felt... I, when I, it was like this picture, this image, and, and I just felt this overwhelming sense of love. Just like, it was unbelievable. It was just like, just overwhelming sense of love. I didn't pray. I didn't say anything. And instantly, when I felt this overwhelming sense of love, the pain disappeared. Um, and it's never come back since. And this, as I said, happened in 2006. So that was my introduction. It was the beginning of a shift inside of me, beginning a shift of consciousness that took place. So I had come from a very uh, deeply rooted um, evangelical world. And now there was a shift. So that was the beginning.
0: And you yourself, as a result of that journey, have made a shift from a more religious kind of identity to more spiritual, right? How has that journey unfolded for you? What does that look like?
1: Well... In, in a couple of years after 2006, 2008, I was sitting, I was still dealing with a lot of different problems and challenges and, and plethora of negative thoughts that I was still trying to overcome. And I was sitting, I remember specifically where I was sitting. I was sitting in, in, in the bedroom. And then I, I remember something that Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And I'm thinking, I am not free. So the only logical conclusion, then, is if I'm not free, then if I believe Jesus, if I think Jesus is correct, then I must be missing something about the truth. But you have to understand, all my life I've been teaching a truth, which I've been handed to me from my evangelical worldview. I've been, I've been, been taught this is how the world works. So I've been teaching the truth, and I have been speaking to thousands and tens of thousands of people about the truth. But it's not working for me, and then I also, because I've been around a lot of uh, famous, so to speak, preachers, and I realize most of them are pretty messed up. <laughs> so here we are, and Jesus said, "You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." So if we have to have, if we have to be honest, and we should be honest with ourselves, we must be missing something about the truth. So I said, so it, it was like just a very subtle thing, but I said, I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth that sets me free. And it began a journey that was not a quick journey, but it was a a, a, a gradual journey of uh, uncovering. You know, people talk about deconstruction and, and reconstruction. For me, it was like reconstruction and deconstruction at the same time. It wasn't like I went from downhill. It was just like a, a, a shift, a change. And as I began to meditate, and as I began to meditate more and more, I became. There was there was a transformation that took place, an inner awareness, of peace, a a joy, a, a wellspring of love and peace that began to well up inside of me, to the point where. Uh, it it just caused a complete transformation in my life, in my relationships, how I saw my spirituality, how I saw God, how I related to God, and rather than God being up there or somewhere or with his big beard and white hair, and you know, I, I began to recognize the the presence of God in me and in all of us. When Jesus said, "The Father is in me." I'm in you, you are in me. And, and you know, Jesus said, I'm, I'm in the naked, the prisoner. I begin to see God in you, in you, in you, in the people I met on the street. I, it was just a deeper awareness that then transformed my sense of identity. And, uh, yeah, so. And in that
0: process, by the way, a lot of what we're talking about, um, David wrote this wonderful book called Awakening to I Am Love, How finding your true self transforms your well-being, relationships, and what you do. So a lot of the themes that we're going to talk about today and that we've already been discussing come from here. And so you mentioned in the book kind of shifting from this overemphasis on the intellect and making everything about your beliefs and shifting down to
1: the heart. Talk about that. Well. We always associate truth with, I shouldn't say always, but especially in religious circles, you associate truth with a set of beliefs, right? Which is all a mental concept. It's a story. It's a narrative. It's something that we've learned. And the more I I ventured into this journey of, of rediscovering, really, in so many ways, what Jesus was teaching, but has, you know, we have completely messed up uh, what Jesus was teaching. So many ways I began to discover that the truth is is not a mental concept. It's just not a story. It's not a narrative. The truth, and even if you look at the original Aramaic word for truth here that Jesus used, he said it's a light. It means a light, a like a compass. is a light that enlightens your path. So it is this inner light that gives you a sense of, if you stay within that light, there is this peace, there is this joy, there is this tranquility, there is this harmony, there is there is this stillness, there is like freedom from many of the egoic patterns and and even the dysfunctional hearts. You know, so many of us have, and it's interesting when you think about the word heart, it's like your emotional center, your your subconscious sense of self. So many people have a subconscious sense of self that has been trampled upon, you know, that has footprints on it. As, as even Jeremiah says, there are footprints on your heart and it's been trampled upon. And what has that, uh, what has that led to? It has led to a feeling that we are not enough, that we're not doing enough, that we do not have enough. And with that inner feeling, then the ego creates all these coping mechanisms so that we have to somehow or another present ourselves as being enough. We must have more, whether it's money, whether it is um, status, whether it is even a s- spiritual authority. You know, religious people sometimes have the biggest egos, you know, because there is a need for somehow or another religion becomes their way of identifying or feeling a sense of superiority. It creates this feeling of superiority, right? Like I have something you don't have. Like I, you know, the, the, I have arrived. I, I, you know, you're not like me. And But even though we don't say it, we of course we camouflage our language with all kinds of niceties, but there's a subtle feeling inside of us that we have something going for us. But then there's another subtle feeling that we're not enough. So, it creates this massive problem in our lives. And, and, and unless we awaken, unless we come to that point of inner awakening where our hearts are healed by awakening to the very essence of God within us, the ruach, um, our connection, consciousness. Because if you think of God, what is God? God is infinite consciousness. Consciousness. Right, when you wake into that, the, and now allow that to heal your heart, it it transforms everything in your
0: life. How did you get to that point where you shifted from "I'm not enough" to "I am love"?
1: Well, I I, I want to say something here because it's easy when you sit here to present yourself as "I have arrived. I have." And I never want to say that. I'm living every day. Um, meditating. And allowing myself to come to a place of greater wholeness. Greater strength. And I'm fully aware. Being aware of your own ego and your own life. And the struggles like that. But for me, I would say that it's been a, an incredible journey. In 2016, I decided I was going to let go of being a pastor. And... Um, I just wanted to be in that presence. I wanted to be transformed, so that I'm not doing this because I it's paying my bills. It was paying my bills up to that point, right? I I, I didn't want to have a life with God that was based on on the you know because the mind is very subtle. Like I hear see people all the time, you know, it's very easy to if you're a pastor, to say certain things, to have certain beliefs, certain ways of seeing things, and very demanding upon your people. But it's also a little bit of self-serving, right? So for me, I set aside time. I just wanted, I walked away from it. And just to have that inner development, to come to a point of wholeness within, just becoming aware of a presence, this wellspring of love and peace. And so for me, the most... Uh, wonderful well actually I just think life is wonderful every moment of life this is a wonderful moment but it was wonderful when I was sitting there it was it's, it's just beautiful as as you were saying it's beautiful life is beautiful but just taking that time every day to connect with your most inner self and then living in the present moment and, and you know what I I, I keep probably uh, a lot of things being said there, But there's one thing, for example, that Jesus said that, that has been so misunderstood. Jesus said, you know, pray in my name. So people say, in the name of Jesus, right? Like that was the prayer. In the name of it's like a magic, like, magic formula. You know, if you pray in the name of Jesus, there's a magic formula. Something's going to happen. Well, actually, if you go back and study, this is so fascinating. If you go back and study the original aramaic they completely understood that term differently so to them the name was associated with a light it was that was another translation of light which is consciousness sound uh your atmosphere the thing that resonates from you that each of us have like an atmosphere about, you, about us your pastor of what do you call yourself? It just resonates around you. <laughs> let's not let's not keep saying but that. But not just that. It's that. just a little joke. <laughs> but not just that. What what resonates about you, for example, is that th- there is a peace, there is a love, there is a genuine love about you. And so we all have that. So when you then begin to so for me I begin to invite that that light, that resonance, that atmosphere into my heart to heal the heart, to heal those broken things inside of me. And I just sat in that awareness, and I, it just kind of faded away. I just noticed a lot of things that used to trouble me and anger me and feelings that had that I was not enough just faded away.
0: So this word freedom, what does that mean to you now?
1: Well, freedom means, of course, it means so many different things, but to me, freedom is to um, have an inner joy in peace. And even if there's a storm around you, to be in that place of inner stillness where your mind and your thoughts, your emotions, where you're no longer under the control or held hostage by your thoughts, your emotions, but you're just aware. There's just like an awareness of, if it would all take just a few moments, and just, just become aware. It's just an awareness of this wellspring of peace, of love, of joy. Wow. So when you meet somebody, you see it in them. And, uh, it's just beautiful.
0: I love that. You also talk in the book about this concept of abiding in the word of Jesus. Can you elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, of course, abiding is is uh, being present. Another word for that is being present. But the word for word, we always think it's like the teachings or some other thing, like, you know, the Bible or something like that. But the, the word for word, there are many different words for word. One is in the uh, Bible. In the, in the in the original Greek and then in the Aramaic and in Hebrew. Uh, well, there are three different words. One is like scripture, which is not the word used here. Another word is rhema, which is a spoken word, so teachings, which is not the word here. The word that is used here is logos, which is a Greek word, and that Greek word comes from a person whose name is uh, Hercules, and, and then later on the Stoics and Plato and... Even Philo of Alexandra talked about this as being the organizing principle of the universe. The organizing principle. In other words, and as I began to look at that, and even the Proverbs talks about the holy wisdom as as this wisdom, the organizing principle, the wisdom that exists before all else. And what is the organizing principle? As I began to study this, and this is so fascinating, it is consciousness. Think about it. The fact that you are conscious is what causes your thoughts, your ideas, your dreams, your creativity. So when we talk about, what was your question again?
0: Abiding in the word of Jesus.
1: So when we talk about abiding in the word, it is going back to, so, so remember, what, remember what it says in the gospel of John. For those who remember scripture, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? No, that's not what it says. Is that what it says? Yeah. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Yeah, that's what it says, yeah. Um, so here the word, that it is, it is, it's associated with beginning. So what is beginning? Beginning is this point of the organizing principles, that stillness. When everything was still, before the Big Bang, before there's a place of inner stillness, right? So the organizing principle is inner stillness. So when you abide in, in his word, it's going back to that point of inner stillness. It's so simple, it's, but it's very different than probably what most of us have been taught in, in uh, our backgrounds, at least me.
0: Yeah. So in light of your background and like where you are now in terms of your spirituality, looking back, what are some of the ways you've seen Jesus be misinterpreted, misunderstood?
1: Well, it's such a long list, <laughs> but even I mean, what we just mentioned here about the name of Jesus—it's interesting that uh, just that. But there, but there's there's so many things if you read his t- teachings, and you have to understand it through an Ar- Aramaic mindset, which is so different from a Western mindset. Aramaic mindset—you the, the, know there there are. Um, uh, or, I've lost the word now here for it. It's um, Semitic, you know, the Semitic people. And they were nomads that traveled in the desert. So they were very connected to the earth and completely saw so many things differently. So when, when we talk about Jesus, even if you read, for example, the, uh, the Beatitudes, if you understand them through an Aramaic mind, it completely changes everything. You see things like, oh. It, it's, it's, it's about being conscious. This is about being aware. It's about coming back to that point of inner stillness. It's returning to that point of beginning. So even the word repent, which many people think is like, oh, feel really sorry for your sins and all the things that you messed up. No, it's return to the place of origin, to that place of beginning, even the word born again. What does, Jesus said you should be, you know, unless a man becomes born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. Now, we think of you got to get saved or, you know, a lot of people think you got to get saved and do this. But what it means to be born again is simply return to that place of origin. So when you were one day old, did you know who you were? Did you know whether you were a male or female or? black, white, or yellow, or or what race you belong to, whether you were American or whether you were... Did you know any of that stuff? You didn't know any of that stuff. And how many remember when you were five years old that you had different thoughts than you have now? How many had different thoughts when you were five? And how many noticed that your body has changed? I mean... Some of us have less hair, and some of us, like, I'm not necessarily talking about myself, even though I am, but, you know, the the, the things change. Your appearance change. You have more wrinkles, and you get older, and, yeah, a lot of things change. Yet you continue to be you. So where in, where in you is you? Right? You're the same person. So when we return to that point, what, what, how do you return to that point? Is it return to that point of being born again? Is return to that point of stillness when there is no, when you have not been conditioned when, before the conditioned self? before you were told who you were, who, who you are, and what you can do, before the ego had formed a mental concept of who you are, and before all of that, return to that point. Because it's only there that you can see the word kingdom. And by the way, that's another mistranslation. We're talking about Jesus. The word kingdom is actually a feminine word in Arabic. So, it's... Better translation will be queendom. I thought the women would get excited about that. But it's not, even to disappoint the women, that that is not really even talking about kings and queens because that word existed before that. It's talking about a deeper reality. It's like uh, a deeper reality of I can, of, of God. It's very presence within you that awakens you. When you go to that point of inner stillness, you awaken to this very presence. That creative force, as you in your, in, in your uh, what do they call that, centering prayer, prayer did, talked about. There's, you come back to that inner stillness, and now you begin to uh, feel the sense of joy, this sense of peace. And now creativity, I can. All of that flows out of you. So when you understand, in other words, so going back to your question about um, Jesus and understanding Jesus, we have so much missed what Jesus is all about simply because it's, you know, the Bible has been translated in how many different languages? From, from from one language to the next, and then we had a name, guy named Constantine who had a, a vision that when he was going to conquer and kill um, and conquer Rome, he saw a cross, conquer with this cross, and so you see how it's been distorted, and then he became like the leader of all this, and he actually killed people for it. I mean, when you read the history of Christianity, it's it's pretty bad. Um, So it's no wonder it's been distorted in many ways. I'm rambling on here,
0: but... No, I like your rambles. It's good. In the book, you also talk about, like, stages of consciousness. Yeah. Am I testing you too much, or do you remember what you wrote? Okay, good. (laughs) <laughs> I don't necessarily remember what I wrote, but I, I um, like before we when he got here this morning. I'm like, "Hey, man! Like, I read all this stuff, and I want to ask you these questions. Are you gonna be all right with that?" Because I, he's like, "Well, I wrote this several years ago, you know."
1: But think about stages of consciousness this way: when you're uh, when you go to sleep and you have no dreams. Well, there is a level of consciousness, right? Because if an alarm goes off, then you would wake up. So there's some consciousness. But ultimately, you're not aware of your surroundings. You don't know what's going on. You don't know, like, anything really. I mean, I slept through earthquakes. Um, You're not aware of it. And then you go into a dreamless, then you go into a, a dream state and, like, that's a real weird world, right? I mean, like, you have all kinds of weirds. Like, I I don't know where I was today, but, I mean, in the middle of the night, I'm waking up, I have all these different dreams, all kinds of weird stuff. That's one level of consciousness. And then you have another level of consciousness, which is your waking consciousness. And even that has to var- have various degrees. And then you have, like, um, um, so so then we get into more of the spiritual, meditative states of consciousness. So you have altered states of consciousness as well. People on drugs or alcohol or any of that, that's an altered state of consciousness. But then you have like this spiritual state a, um, and, and uh, meditative states where you begin to awaken to a sense of unity with God. A unity with one another. Where you begin to see yourself not as separate, and that's really where true love comes from. When you no no longer see yourself as separate from them, but you see yourself in them, and that is love. And that's what Jesus talked about. It's beautiful, isn't it? I'm in the naked, I'm in the prisoner, I'm in the immigrant. I mean, even that, I mean, they didn't have legal immigrants back in those days. You know, I was in them too. Don't mean there was nothing political about that. I'm just saying we are all one. We're all one. And you begin to awaken to that. That's a spiritual state where we see uh, each, where we see ourselves in one another. And can you imagine when that happens? love and compassion and less judgment. Forgiveness comes naturally because you look beyond the physical exterior. You look beyond the form. You look beyond the ego and you begin to see them for their true identity, for who they are, the very essence of who they are. We're all one. We all flow out of God, God's consciousness. Our consciousness ultimately, we are like, we are like rays of the sun. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world, but you are the light of the world. Light is what illuminates. Consciousness is what illuminates. So we're all part of... Um, we're all the same. We're just different lights. And when we shine together, or when we... When we when we let our light shine, it becomes beautiful. It becomes attractive. You guys are so attractive. It's a beautiful sense of God here. Why? Because it's flowing through us.
0: I yeah. love it. Something that gets in the way of people experiencing this is guilt. Yeah. And you talk a little bit about that. Have you... Um, Struggled with that in the past. I'm assuming, as every human has, and how have you overcome kind of guilt and the way that impacts your identity?
1: Yeah, I, um, I guilt was a major problem in my life, but once I started to come to this point, I, I must say, and, and I'm very grateful for that. You know, in the last number of years, I I, I don't remember ever feeling uh, feeling that guilt anymore. And I'm not saying that because I'm who knows what tomorrow will bring, or whatever. But but I, I'm just very grateful for that. And I think it's because when you awaken more and more, because guilt is a story we tell ourselves, right? And guilt is something to do with the past. I think one of the stories I tell in there is about this woman. That um, maybe I shouldn't tell the story. It's it's a church. What?
0: what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> now no. you have to say it. <laughs> it's in the book. It's in the book, yeah. all right, well, um, I'm trying to remember what I wrote though. I'm because you know you you're stirring up all kinds of things in there. but um this woman went to a bachelorette party, and she did some things that was probably not in the best interest of her husband and her family. Let me put it that way. How many get what I'm talking about?
0: Oh, my gosh, dude. All right. You can talk like a normal human, I promise. <laughs> this is a safe space, all right? This going is on? being recorded, isn't it? <laughs> Listen, I've said a lot worse. I don't want I evidence. <laughs> I don't want the evidence out there. Uh, this can be held against you. Okay, so she was getting her freak on, then what? <laughs> what happened?
1: But anyhow, so what happened was, she's drunk. You imagine what she's doing. And um, you seem to imagine, well, there, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now she goes home. She's no longer drunk. And now she has this enormous amount of guilt. And, you know, it's just completely gripping her. So she. Finally goes and tells her husband. Now He's not exactly happy. But he forgives her. And uh, willing to move on. But she can't forgive herself. Because the more she tells the story, the more she rehashes what took place. The more she begins to identify with the story of guilt. So she begins to see herself. As a filthy cheater, I guess that's, you know, she begins to see herself in that, in that vein. So her marriage begins to fall apart because of it. It's not because he won't forgive her, but the story that she's telling her she's reliving the past is now causing her to fall apart and eventually the divorce And now she begins to live a very promiscuous life because the image that she has of herself has been created by guilt. That's why guilt is so destructive. You you guys see this, how destructive it is when we tell ourselves these stories about things that happened in the past. We relive them and we identify them and they form part of our ego. And now we live out who we believe ourselves to be. So eventually, she came to a point of understanding what we're talking about. And that led to healing and freedom, this identification with the guilt story. And so, the more you become aware, the more you awaken within to this presence, to this incredible presence of God, the Rura, the the more you awaken to that presence, the more it transforms your sense of self and heals your heart and frees you from the guilt. Like even doing this one thing that I mentioned earlier, just inviting just inviting um, Jesus, the name of Jesus, the light, the, the resonance, the atmosphere into your heart to heal it. Not to make it more religious, but to heal your sense of I am not enough. I am a failure. I've done this. To free you, it it just changes everything about your life.
0: I like that you mentioned in the book too that you know meditating on just love was too abstract. You needed to put a face to it. And so for you that was Jesus. And, and as you continue to meditate on that image, you become more and more conformed to it. I mean, that's how it works.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, and what I realized was that, it, you know, that was, that was for me the most greatest symbol of love. And, um, and so I could see it. It was tangible. And, and I think that's, we all need things that are tangible. That's why we don't worship the tangible, but we see it. We, we identify with it. And, and so, yeah, it, it caused this transformation. It, uh, and sometimes I look back on when, when we talk about gratefulness here earlier. I, th- I think it's just so beautiful. I'm just so grateful. I was thinking about it here. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to have had this experience that changed my life. I'm grateful to be able to share it with others. And I'm grateful, even if I don't share with others, I'm grateful for every moment of the day. Because life is just beautiful. And, um,
0: yeah. I love it, my friend. Any final words you want to give?
1: Um, well, I will be available in the back for those who want to.
0: In the lobby? Yeah, David will be in the lobby. And,
1: and uh, I'm glad to sign sign any of the books, I think. Uh, $15 for the book I brought only I don't know how many books there maybe 13 14 of them um and I helped bought another book called to another book called um uh, uh beyond limits I can't remember the you don't, you forgot your own subtitle <laughs> seven steps to create the life of your Dream.
0: good job <laughs> uh,
1: so uh well that book as well, I'm at $15. But if you want to buy both of them, they give it for 25 And we take credit cards. And, and anyhow, I don't like the sales part. But if you want that, we would be glad to do it because I certainly don't want to take them. I going to New York to visit my, my son and my daughter-in-law. And I don't want to take them up there. So if you want to buy all of it, that would be great. <laughs> to, you know, to unload me of that burden. Uh-huh.
0: Awesome, well we appreciate your time. Thank you for coming and sharing thank with us you. about your story, your journey. Let's give it up on time for David. I'm gonna pray for us while he gets out to the lobby and he'll meet you there. God, thank you so much for your love and your goodness. Help us to move out of a state of not being enough so that we can embrace who we are in you. We are love and we are all connected to one another. May we feel and become and embody the very presence of Christ's love in our everyday life so that we can rise above guilt, rise above ego, and be everything you've created us to be. Amen. All right, family. Love you. See you next Sunday.